0: Heavenly Father, we do pray that your love would overcome us. Lord, uh, we thank you that you do do love us with an everlasting love. This love that the Bible says and teaches is unconditional. Lord, we come in here we come from a world uh, that is full of darkness, uh, a world that knows nothing of the unconditional love that you've shown to us. Uh, Lord, it's hard for us to, to accept and to receive this love, because we live uh, in such a reciprocal world where you have to you have to give something, you have to do something, you have to be something in order to receive. But Lord we, we come before you uh, today and and we have nothing to offer you. We come before you with open hands and uh, we simply say Lord, we need your love, we need your grace and we need your mercy today. And Lord, I, I thank you that' it's, it's because of your great love that we're then... Moved and were then compelled to worship, to worship you here in this time, yes, but not just here, but with our whole life, with our with our bodies, with 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 uh, every day that you've given to us. We've been called to worship you fully because of the light of your love, which is shown on our hearts. We thank you so much for that, Lord. I pray for anybody who comes here to, uh, who has come here today or is listening today. The needs, once again, the confirmation of that love. I pray, Heavenly Father, that they would uh, be given that love. uh, That they would would trust in that love today, Lord, that you would come by your Holy Spirit. uh, Visit each and every one of us. So open our our ears, open our hearts to your word today. We need your word today. Uh, So, Lord, that's why we're gathered here, is to hear from you. So help me, Lord, to proclaim your word faithfully and clearly so that we can hear it, not just with our ears, but with our heart, and then that your Holy Spirit would do that work of transformation in us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I ask that you would uh, please stand today as we read our sermon text. Our sermon text today comes from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through... Two, Apostle Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, and I think that we could say sisters, too, looking at the Greek, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Here ends the reading of God's Word. Amen. You may be seated. So this Sunday is the very first Sunday in Advent, and it also marks the beginning of what we're calling... Uh, our Advent conspiracy. So, we're participating in this movement, which thousands of churches around the world are participating in this Advent called the Advent Conspiracy. And in this, you'll be encouraged to, to refocus your life. You and I are going to be called to refocus our life. And four things that we'll be called to is number one, to worship fully. And that's this Sunday, the first Sunday of Advent, is the call to worship fully. Second Sunday is spend less. The third Sunday is to give more. And the fourth Sunday is to love all. Worship fully. Spend less, give more, love all. And in this culture that uh, has created a consumeristic circus out of Advent, I think that this is a good focus for us. It's a good fo- focus for us to kind of slow down and to reevaluate what is Advent all about. Is it, a, is it about this consumerism that has been you know, fed to us, or is it something more? To worship fully, to spend less, to give more, and to love all. It's a time for us to slow down and reflect upon um, and to live in the real meaning of this time of Christmas. So this our four, uh, the first of our four-part series is Worship Fully. Worship Fully. So we are called, as a congregation, to worship the Lord fully. But first of all, I want to talk about some misunderstandings of worship. Some misunderstandings of worship. For the first misunderstanding of worship is, is that, that worship is something that we only do in church once a week something that we only do in church once a week. So we worship when we go to church on Sunday, and that's, that's worship. Another misunderstanding is that worship is only singing in church. And this has been made popular with an evangelicalism, and many think that, that worship is that 15 to 20 minutes before uh, the sermon. And so the time of singing is the time of worship. But I, these are certainly misunderstandings of worship. This isn't really what worship is. Now, don't get me wrong. Worship on Sunday morning, uh, coming to church and, and attending services is so important. It is so important for us to be in the house of God so that we can hear God's word and then so that we can be transformed by the message of his word. So worship on Sunday is important. And yes, singing to the Lord is important, singing the truths of his word and and singing in response to what he has told us, those things are so important and they're vital to our Christian lives. But worship is much more is much more than the service on Sunday morning or any time that a church may hold a worship service. Worship is so much more than being in church and Singing in church. What is real worship? Well, real worship, I believe, what the scriptures is calling us to, is to worship 24-7. 24-7 worship is the kind of worship that we're called to. So real worship, according to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, is first of all, number one, real worship is not conforming to the world. It's not conforming to the world. You see, the scriptures have called us to live a different life, to not be conformed to this world. Second, I believe that real worship is transformation of our thinking. This is what Paul is writing about in Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, is transformation of our thinking. I would say it's to think how. How is our thinking to be transformed? Well, I believe it's to be transformed into into that we're to think like Jesus. And I say not not only think like Jesus, but feel like Jesus, having the same compassion that he has, and and then uh, living like Jesus. But anyway, so transformation of our thinking to think like Jesus. And the number three is living in God's will. Living in God's will. And how do we, how do we live in God's will? Well, we, we know what God's will is when we open the Scriptures. And so, it's to obey His Word. So real worship is to live a different life, not conform to this world. Uh, uh, to think like Jesus, to be transformed in, in the way we think, and then to obey His Word which is to live in His will. So to live a life of worship, we've got to be a people committed to the Bible. There's no knowledge or understanding of what it really means to live a different life, to think like Jesus or to obey His Word, if we never open the Scriptures and read the Scriptures and study the Scriptures and, and uh, pray the Scriptures and memorize the Scriptures. So real worship is to live a different life, to think like Jesus, to obey His will, and to be a people of His—really, to be a people of His Word. And how did this this life, this this life of worship, impact the early church? Well, Pastor Tim Keller wrote an article, and this is from his research from a. Scholar of the early church, and he, he gives these five features that made the early church unique. Five things that made the early church unique, and I believe that we can look at the early church, and by looking at the early church, the church in the first century, uh, I, I believe that we, through doing that, can understand what it means to live a life of worship. So five features that made the early church unique. Number one, the early church was multiracial, and they experienced a unity across ethnic boundaries that was startling. Most churches in North America are very homogenous. In other words, it's people of the same culture, of the same ethnicity, that are gathered together, but the early church was radically multi ethnic So what does it mean to live a life of worship? It means that we're that, that we are a people like Jesus who embrace all people. We ought to be a church with an open door but also a church with open arms to welcome all people regardless of where they come from or who they are or how different they are traditions might be from us. So the early church, number one, was, a, uh, was, a, uh, was multiracial and experienced unity across ethnic boundaries that was startling. And number two, the early church was, com- was a community of forgiveness and reconciliation. They were a community of forgiveness and reconciliation. They didn't let the things that offended get in the way of, of unity. Or rather, they were willing to forgive one another and to be reconciled to one another. Oftentimes, the, the church today is, is a church that's uh, seen as being uh, very uh, fractured and living in disunity. But if we're really going to live as a people of worship, we, we need to have, be a people of open arms, even to those who have offended us, to say, I forgive. And and the unity of the body of Christ is, is vital within our lives. Then Tim Keller also says, number three, that the early church was famous for its hospitality to the poor and the suffering. The early church was famous for its hospitality to the poor. Now, in ancient times, there were pandemics that swept across uh, the world, across the Roman Empire. And Christians were known for taking care of the sick and the dying. Everybody else would flee, but the Christians were there to take care of those who were suffering. Number four... Uh, Researchers and scholars tell us that the early church was a community committed to the sanctity of life. They were committed to the sanctity of life in a time where it was acceptable just to to take your your infant and even just throw your infant into, into the garbage. Christians were there to take these infants in and to raise them. So they were a community committed to the sanctity of life. And then number five, it was a sexual counterculture. In other words, the way that the world practiced their sexuality was not the way that the early church did. They lived according to God's word. So five features that made the early church unique. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is worship. Worship isn't just what we do here on Sunday morning. Worship is a lifestyle that we are committed to living in the grace of Jesus Christ. But it's only the gospel of Jesus Christ that can cause such profound transformation that brings forth this sort of lifestyle of honoring God. And the early church was unique. But they weren't unique because they gathered in a building once a week on Sunday morning. That isn't what made them unique. Going to church didn't make them unique. It was their life. They lived a life of worship. They worshipped fully. Worship didn't end when they walked out of the church. The first Christians were unique because they worshipped the Lord with their whole life. How? Not conforming to the world. They lived a different life. Transformed in their thinking. They thought like Jesus. And living in God's will, they obeyed his word. The only way you and I can worship fully is to have a right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That is to to know Jesus and to trust in Jesus. To know him and to trust him. So I'm asking, do do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? And I'm not asking if if you know about him. I'm asking if you know him as your Lord and Savior. Are you knowing him to the point where you trust in him alone? And, and when you know Jesus at, at this level of trusting in him alone uh, for forgiveness and for life and for strength today, you gain this thing which is called assurance. Assurance. You have this assurance. You're not living living with with this uh, uh, confusion or or with this um, fear in life. I believe so many people are living with fear and confusion in life. But when you know Jesus and when you're trusting in Jesus, you have assurance. You can have assurance in God. And, and, And really, it's hard to worship a God. That you have no assurance in. If you can't be assured that, that, that this God is going to come through for you and fulfill his promises for you and that he's going to do what he says, it's hard to worship him. <laughs> People are longing for assurance and And the God that we worship with our whole life, that we worship fully, is the God who we can be assured of, but not only can we be assured of him, he gives us assurance in him. Assurance of what? Being assured of his unconditional love. And I pray that today you have that assurance of His unconditional love. How can you really worship a God that doesn't know you and then at the same time love you? God, He, he knows you. He knows everything about you. And He loves you unconditionally. In fact, God loves you so much that he sent his one and only son, he sent Jesus to die upon the cross for you. He didn't send Jesus because you deserve Jesus. He sent Jesus because he knows you. Get this, he sent Jesus because he knows you. He knows that you need salvation. He knows that you need grace. He knows that you need forgiveness. He knows that you need this confidence in life. God sent Jesus because he knows you. And he loves you. You and I, we need Jesus because our sin has caused us to become a broken people. A people separated from God. A people... Uh, who, who worship all the wrong things. And, and as a result of worshiping all the wrong things, we certainly do not live with assurance in life. So you and I need Jesus because of our sin, because of our brokenness, because we're separated from God. Because God wants you to know Him and to live lives of worship, to live fully in worship of Him 24-7. And how can we not live a life of worship for God, who loves us this much, that loves us so much that He sent His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. How can we not worship this God fully? Not just on... Sunday, but 24-7. How does a person enter into this relationship with God through Jesus? There's a key biblical principle that's at the heart of the Old Testament, of the the preaching of the Old Testament prophets, that was at the heart of John the Baptist's message That's normally what we do with the first Sunday of Advent is we look at the ministry of of John the Baptist. So there's this biblical principle of the prophets of John the Baptist, the message of Jesus, the message of the apostles, and the message of the church. How do we come into this relationship? Well, the word is repentance. The word is repentance. John the Baptist came preaching a message of repentance. Jesus preached a message of repentance. The apostles preached a message of repentance. You see, you'll never experience this love and this assurance and this acceptance, this relationship of knowing and trusting Jesus apart from repentance. So what is repentance? Well, number one, repentance is being confronted with the reality of your lostness and brokenness without Jesus. Repentance is being confronted with the reality of who you are apart from Jesus. That you are a broken and a lost person apart from him. So repentance is being confronted with the reality of our loss. That's something that we all need every single day. I think within evangelicalism, we, we think that's oh, it's just a one-time thing. Now, this is something that Luther says that we live in daily. Is to be confronted of the reality of our sinfulness, our lostness, and our need. And then number two, repentance is trusting in Jesus. It's trusting in Jesus, being turned from the worthless things of this world, and to to be turned by the Holy Spirit to trust in Jesus alone. You see, you and I are called to be turned away from all the stuff that is opposed to the very nature of God. We're called to turn from those things that are distracting us from worshiping God 24-7. So what is it that's in your life right now that is distracting you, that, that, that's pulling you away, that, that's trying to get your attention to focus in the wrong direction? So, that you're you're not worshiping fully. You're not worshiping 24 7 as Romans 1 or 12 1 and 2 teaches. We have these conflicting affections. Conflicting affections. Like a guy who claims to be in love with two women. How can you be in love with two women? Therefore, repentance is required. And the Old Testament prophets they they compared um, our the, these hearts that we have that are that are uh, distracted from God and are going towards uh, these things which are not gods, but we think are going to fulfill us in life. Uh, the Old Testament calls it idolatry. And what does the Old Testament compare idolatry to? To unfaithfulness. To adultery. So my heart, it's pulled in this direction. And my my affections are directed towards this thing, which is not God. And I begin to trust in this thing for, for assurance and security in life. And the Bible calls it infidelity. So repentance is Required. True worship is impossible apart from repentance. We are called to repent when our hearts are torn between two, between two gods, one that is not God and the true God. When earthly things become more important to us than God, we're called to repent and to trust in Jesus alone. So the call is to repent and to believe the good news. repent and to believe the good news of the gospel, that there is unconditional love, and that there is forgiveness, and that there is power, this power of daily grace that is given by this God who loves us. The gospels, in Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, we read about John the Baptist, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. May the message of John the Baptist ring true in our ears today. And may we heed his message to repent, knowing that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Knowing that this this message that John the Baptist, the one that he was speaking of, is, is he who was spoken of by the prophets. To worship the Lord is to walk in daily repentance. To live in daily awareness of our brokenness, our brokenness without Jesus, and then to trust in Jesus alone. And without repentance, at best, our worship would be once a week for one hour. But when we daily walk in the gracious gift of repentance, God's grace moves us to worship with our lives, to be turned away from these things that are distracting us so that we can worship our lives fully. To worship with our voices, yes. And with our hands and feet and our whole life for a world that's walking in the darkness. So Paul's message from Romans 12:1 through 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, By the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word today. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that by your grace and by your mercy, by this unconditional love, that your Holy Spirit would cause us to recognize our need for you, our brokenness. And then that your Holy Spirit would create faith to trust in you alone as our Savior that our hearts would be turned towards those things which bring honor and glory to you, not just in this service, but with our lives, lives lived for your glory and for your honor 24-7. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Please stand as we sing, Come Thou Long-Expected Jesus.